the VCA Voice podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Marie Curl. Our goal with the VCA Voice is to showcase how VCA Animal Hospitals is taking care of the future of veterinary medicine. We'll bring our purpose to life through meaningful conversations about care, our culture, and the communities we serve. On today's show, we'll be talking with Jessica Sewell, Regional Technician Director and Licensed Veterinary Technician in Georgia. Hi, Jessica. How are you doing? Hey, I'm awesome. Thanks so much for having me. I really, really appreciate you joining us. And I know we're going to have a lot of amazing stuff to talk about. I'd like to start with having you really just talk us through your career journey and how that intersects with your VCA journey and how you got where you are today. Sure. So I started at a small, privately owned hospital. I was there for a year, and then I ended up taking a CSR receptionist role at another larger hospital, very progressive. Mm -hmm. Um, And and way back, way back when, we didn't have all of the the referral options, the specialists. Mm -hmm. So I worked at a really progressive practice where we were doing backs and, and a lot of orthopedics, that hospital, uh, that practice and those, those people there have a large influence on the technician that I became. A lot of really good experience there. And then I went to school. Uh, I stumbled into emergency medicine um, <laughs> because I had to work nights, holidays, and weekends because we didn't have online programs. I fell in love with emergency medicine. Um, I ended up at uh, the emergency hospital that I emer- became emergency referral. Uh, it was purchased, acquired by VCA. Mm-hmm. Um, I ended up, I stayed, left VCA. It didn't completely leave. Uh, state went part-time mm-hmm. to go. I was recruited at Auburn University as an ICU supervisor. And I stayed for a year, came back as the technician supervisor at a VCA emergency and referral hospital. And I've been with VCA ever since. And then what about your transition? I know that the regional technician director role is still, I'll say, relatively new, having started, I think, the week before COVID. Yes. Tell me a little bit about some of the field positions you've had and your job as a regional technician director. Yeah. So it's been very interesting. What a lot of people don't realize is this role came from, we were area tech, area tech trainers. Mm -hmm. So um, and, you know, Carolyn Spivak, our role would not be possible without her um, because she was pushing for mm-hmm. this the whole time. Um, we started as area tech coordinators. I remember I had eight hospitals and it was a stretch position. So I was a hospital manager at the time mm-hmm. and then going out into hospitals, you know, one or two days a week. Before I was, this became a full-time role. I, I remember uh, Dr. Lavender called me one day and he said, Um, I've got all these hospitals. Um, So anytime I get a hospital, it's going to be your hospital because our hospitals need a technician and assistant support. So, so I ended up Mm -hmm. with 40 hospitals because anytime we acquired one, (laughs) it became my hospital, Uh Um, which meant I had to have a strong bench at my home hospital. I was the manager Mm -hmm. so that it functioned as if I was in the building. And I had that. I had amazing people. Mm-hmm. Um, so the role has just evolved. Mm-hmm. So when it, I, I've been in the role now full time because up until when it became full time, it was a stretch position. And when you say stretch position, 
stretch, meaning um, based on a 40 hour work week, let's say that you're doing three jobs, right? Uh, yeah, essentially. So, but only a certain amount of time per week would go to my stretch <laughs> role. Right. Uh-huh. Um, so yes, you're doing many different functions. Okay. I've been in the role full time now, I would say, um, the regional technician director title role has been what, two years? You said COVID right, right before COVID hit. Yeah, a little, little um, two and a half years so far. Yep. So I think full time I've been in this role for six years now. Mm-hmm. So it's been really wonderful to see it grow and develop. And I've been able to see it from the very beginning. What's your favorite part of being involved in so many hospitals? And what are some of the frustrations with that? Ah, I can definitely answer that. Um, Frustrating (laughs) for me, those of us who are leaders, um, not not even just in a leadership role or title, but if you feel compelled to lead. I think we are fixers. Mm-hmm. And when we go somewhere and we see people struggling, especially if it's something that we could just fix so quickly ourselves, um, that that frustrates me because even though I, if I could, if it's something very small, I could fix it. The importance of my job is to teach others to fish for themselves, not to fish for them. So lead them to the solution, help them execute whatever it takes to solve the problem. So when I see people struggling, that's hard for me. That's frustrating for me when it may be something so simple. Mm-hmm. So that that can be frustrating. The What I love about my job and being in all, seeing all of our different hospitals is just that, seeing all of our different hospitals being an acquisition company, the culture between hospitals just a mile apart is incredible. And and it's important Mm -hmm. for them to keep their identity, to keep that autonomy. So I Mm -hmm. love seeing that. I love the different personalities. Um, I'm somebody who I really, I get satisfaction out of being able to connect with people who are opposite me in personality. I love that. And I love being able to see Every, every time I walk in a hospital, I learn something new. I see something new. We like to think that we have all the answers and we know the best way to do things. But I see things in hospitals and I'm like, man, that's brilliant. I'm so upset that I didn't think of that, you know. Um, so that's um, that's that's what I love. Uh, that's the frustrating part for me. And that's the the beautiful part of it for me. Yeah, I'm, I'm so glad you brought up the part about all of the differences among our hospitals and that you know, really through being an acquisition company and no two hospitals are alike. And that that surprised me a little bit when I joined VCA. But it's also part of that shared legacy of our promise that we want for the individual nature of each hospital to be able to shine through, because that's really the beauty of providing the hometown care that we can. So in your perfect world, what does a technician leadership structure look like inside the hospital? And I do have to say, I'm pretty amazed that with all of the different positions that you've held, you really could just run a hospital all by yourself. No, 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 no. no. So from, from kennel to, to reception to hospital manager, tech supervisor, ICU supervisor, that gives you such, such breadth and scope of how you can approach different situations and problems. So what, is, what does leadership within a hospital look like for technicians? Yeah, I think um, in the hosp- 
hospitals and I speak not just VCA, I speak everywhere. A uh, big, big take home point is if you are not including technicians in your hospital leadership team, you are huge miss. Mm-hmm. You know, just looking at, let's say, how, how we work in BCA, we have historically for mm-hmm. years and years, we had hospital manager and medical director, right? And they are, we said they were, they had a work marriage and it had to be lots of communication. You had to be in a, a, a united front. And now we have, have to, have to add technicians or technician supervisors into that leadership team. Anytime technicians or assistants or patient care or nursing is discussed, there has to be a technician in the room. If people are talking about, you know, what, what technicians need and what, you know, patient care, we, we get to talk about that. That's our discussion, our, our time to weigh in. Other people shouldn't be having those conversations without us. Mm-hmm. So I think there you have the hospital manager who is operations. That's their lens, right? I'm just being very, uh, keeping it very vague. Medical director, they are the veterinarian, the doctor. They are the medicine, the surgery. That's their lens, their area of expertise. And then you have the technician. You know, you have me who my expertise and my lens is patient care and everything involving our technicians and our assistants. You know, we are in the veterinary industry. We can only handle so much change at once. We don't like change. Um, (laughs) We need to add, you know, CSRs, a CSR supervisor and, and even kennel in there. But for now, those conversations should be had amongst those three individuals. And you're going to disagree. I disagree all the time with our uh, my regional medical directors and the regional operation directors I work with. We push back on each other and we disagree, but we do it behind closed doors so that we can come to common ground for the common goal, right? Which is patient care and taking care of our associates. And we step out in front of everybody else, in front of the rest of the team, we're all aligned and we're a united front. And that's honestly how it should look. There has to be alignment. I'm really glad that you shared that. And through that, you touched on something that I'm curious about. How does a technician, let's say a technician who's not in a leadership role, how do they gain the leadership experience, especially in situations where maybe they disagree with what the doctor and or hospital manager are saying because they see a problem a different way? How would somebody become comfortable with with that part of the process? Mentorship. <laughs> That's huge. So, oh, excellent. Talk to me about that. All right. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, we're not all born leaders, right? We don't pop out of the womb as leaders. It requires learning, de- being developed, being coached, and being open to feedback. So, I know even today, if I'm in a situation and I'm like, man, I know that I need to take action, I know that I need to say something, but I want to say it in a way that I'm not just hearing myself talk. I want to be, I want it to be received well. Mm-hmm. And that takes knowing your audience, reading your audience, know the personalities and the communication style. So I think if, if you're not in a leadership role, first off, remember, you don't have to have a title to be a leader. If you're a credentialed technician, you're automatically a leader, whether you want to be or not. <laughs> yes. I think, 
Yeah. Um, and, and honestly, veterinarians too, when they come out of vet school, right? It's like, oh, hey, you're a leader now. It's like, what? When did that happen? Um, it's just <laughs> the way it works. <laughs> um, so if you don't have a leadership role, a title, let's say, you can still be a leader. If you disagree with something that's being done or you have different ideas, I think it's important to go through the proper channels. That's part of being professional is to do it respectfully. Use your voice, but do it respectfully and do it in the right way, diplomatically, professionally. So that's something that I work with our um, technicians and assistants a lot on is using your voice, finding that voice. And you have to be coached on it many times. Like, I don't know how I'm going to say this. I know what I need to say, but I don't know how to say it. So I'll go to someone who I trust and respect in their communication style and say, hey, look, how would you, if you were me, how would you do this? And I think you always need a mentor, whether you're just starting out or whether you're getting ready to hang it up for good, to retire. You always need a mentor. I have to be open to feedback, have to be able to seek that feedback, ask for it, ask for the help, ask for the guidance. It's not just about speaking up and talking and being bold. It is about being bold and being able to speak your mind, but also you have to do it in the right way um, or else you're just, you're just noise. You have to do it in the right way. I think I might add to that of always keeping the patient at the center of all of the discussions because we, we all want for what's best for our patients and clients. And you want that from a nursing and patient care lens. And I want that from a medical lens that we make the right diagnosis. Is this, is this treatment plan appropriate? So bringing those discussions back around to what's best for the patient and technicians have so much to offer to that. What would you say to, let's say, uh, somebody just getting started in a hospital as you were early in your career or someone who is a veterinary assistant and kind of thinking about, well, what is the next step? What's going to help to bring them to stepping into becoming a credential veterinary technician and going through the educational process, as opposed to just on the job training and staying, you know, where they are in their practice and their comfort level. So we all know that things are changing in our profession. Right now, Colorado just got, uh, you know, regulation Mm -hmm. um, for technicians. There are some hospital or some, um, I'm sorry, states that the, the scope of practice or the practice act is, you know, you have to be credentialed to do certain things. Virginia, you have to place an, uh, mm-hmm. to place an IV catheter. You have to be credentialed. You have to be an LVT. Um, and I think, mm-hmm. and then, and we still have States that are, it's just a free for all. I think that's changing one by one. We're starting to see that they're changing. So if you want to, you know, stay active and continue to be able to as a veterinary assistant, continue to work with the patients and do the things that you love to do. From a regulatory standpoint, I think getting credentialed is important uh, because things are changing. The other side to that is, why didn't I just, at a time when Georgia did not have a practice act, why didn't I just stay an assistant? Mm -hmm. Some of the greatest teachers I've ever had were veterinary assistants. Um, They have brilliant, lots of experience, strong technical skills. But being trained on the job is you don't learn the whys. So if I tell someone, hey, we don't do it this way, we do it, we do it that way. They're just going to think, well, I'm going to do it the way I want to, because the the end result is the same. The task gets done. But yeah, but you could be putting the patient at risk. And many times you are. 
So you learn the whys, not just the how-to with my hands. How do I do this with my hands? I learn the whys. There's a lot of pet owners out there who don't know what a credential veterinary technician is. So so tell me a little bit about that for somebody who may not know and understand that part of our profession. Yeah, sure. So if you want to equate it to human medicine, if I mm-hmm. somebody has no idea what a veterinary technician is, I'm going to say, well, you know, have, have you ever, you've been to the hospital or you've been to the doctor or you were seen by the doctor, but did you have a nurse that they kind of, the doctor would pop in and out. And the nurse was there providing care, kind of talking you through pre-op, post-op, administering your medications. That's that's how we would equate to what they already know, right? So a human nurse. So doctors, veterinarians, diagnose, prescribe, and do surgery. I can do everything else. It's my job to do everything else. Um, If you're in Georgia, I can't administer a rabies vaccine. That's a whole nother can of worms. I digress, but um, that's okay. That's okay. I'm not running rabies. I'm not trying to run rabies clinics. Um, so I can do, I, I should be doing everything besides diagnosing, prescribing medications and doing surgery. Does that happen more times than no? Most of the times it is not happening um, for various reasons. One, we have a shortage of veterinary technicians. We know that. Um, and two, veterinarians are, are as, as a veterinary technician, speaking as a, you know, from the profession, we're a relatively new profession. We're still figuring things out. Mm-hmm. And veterinarians are still figuring out what we are and what we can do for them and how to leverage us. So it's, it's a learning curve all the way around. Yeah, that's, that's a, a perfect explanation. And you know, even even looking at my own career, my first my first position, I didn't really have any credential veterinary technicians to work with. So as a veterinarian, I did all of the technical things as well as the the veterinary things. And I, I worked with great people, and I I love them. And, but it, there was just so much that I was doing that were really truly technical skills. And in my second position, where I was working with credential veterinary technicians who were highly skilled in uh, teaching hospital, the difference was just night and day. And it's so much better for patients and and for patient care. Mm -hmm. How does networking occur? And what are those networks look like? And why are they important? Yes. Oh, this is something that we, you know, just speaking VCA, we have so much talent Mm -hmm. and so many resources in this company. And we're really bad about leveraging each other and reaching out. I don't know if it's, if you're in a hospital, it's very easy to feel like you're stuck on an island, mm-hmm. get in your bubble, you know, but we're, we're not in a bubble. I mean, there's hospitals sometimes a mile from one another. There's power in numbers and we're bigger and better and stronger when we work together. So if I'm in a hospital and I'm, I've got, you know, some a certain challenge going on. I'm going to pick up the phone or send an email to a hospital that's maybe down the road for me, maybe a different state, maybe mm-hmm. all the way across the country. The important thing to remember is that the battles that as a professional you're fighting today, somebody fought them yesterday and somebody will be fighting them tomorrow. 
That's one thing I'm working on in, in my role is getting our technician and assistant supervisors, you know, connecting them and, and getting them to talk to each other. Networking is, is super important. That actually brings up another good point that I wanted to talk with you about that you are currently in a number of leadership roles and and currently a member of the Georgia State Board of Veterinary Medicine. So talk to me about the professional organizations and leadership and how you came to be on the Georgia State Board and what that group is and what they do. Yeah. So I think people get confused when they hear, you know, the Georgia, let's say the Georgia Veterinary Medical Association. Mm-hmm. Um, the Georgia Veterinary Medical Association is a professional organization for veterinarians. Technicians and assistants have the same thing in Georgia. We have the Georgia Veterinary Technician and Assistant Association, which for which I, I'm the immediate past president and the current vice president. So the Georgia State Board of Veterinary Medicine, they help make the laws along with the legislature. So they are regulatory. The GVMA your professional associations, they do not, they are not regulatory. They don't make, make laws. So I think many, once, when I got sworn in to my position, I had some people saying, oh, you're on the GVMA. No, I'm not. I am on, am I on committees? I work with the GVMA and I serve on some of their committees, but I, it, I'm on the Georgia State Board of Veterinary Medicine um, as their LVT. But wait, you said, you said you got, you said you got sworn in. How did, how did you get to that? How did you get to that role? (laughs) So um, uh, the practice act, our practice act here in Georgia has called for a veterinary technician um, on the Georgia state board of veterinary medicine for about 20 years, 15, let's say 15 Mm -hmm. to be, to be conservative, 15 years. But because of, you know, the lack of technicians, um, the lack of funding, um, it didn't come to fruition until I remember I got a call. I've been on the board now for, let's see, a, in March, it was a year. Mm-hmm. I got a call a year before that asking, Hey, would you be interested in this? Um, the governor's office was asking for recommendations on someone to serve. And so the GVTAA, the state tech and assistant association recommended me. Um, given my long history with them. So I, I had to apply a mm-hmm. uh, background check. I, mean, I know there were some other candidates. You had to do a background check, um, letters of recommendation, all the, you know, the gamut. And then I got a call from the secretary of state's office saying that the governor had, I was selected by the governor's office and I had to be sworn in and it's public, mm-hmm. it's public, it's all public record. So that's, how that came to be. Well, that is just wonderful. And I'm so proud of you. That had to have come to pass for your service to technicians and service to your state organization for a long time. And, you know, one of the things that really impresses me about you is that you always seem to step in and keep yourself involved and continue to advocate for technicians and assistants and and the profession and all of that leading up to the state board. The state board really is the guardian for animal health and protects the public as well. So hugely important and very rare. Are there any other state boards that have technicians serving on them right now? I think Alabama does. Other than that, I'm not sure. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So so pretty rare and and you are uh, you're a leader for doing that. So thank you so much. I really appreciate it. 
I think that we are getting close to being about out of time. So if you're speaking to somebody who is new in the profession and let's say they're they're just joining a hospital, becoming a, a veterinary assistant, uh, what advice would you give them? What, what would you tell them? I would tell them, number one, get your feet wet, you know, be a veterinary assistant, get your feet wet and then seek out becoming credentialed. And I would explain to them why, of course, which we already went over. I would tell them we have issues, right? We have things we have to solve. But I would tell them this is a beautiful profession. I love this profession more now than I did way back when, you guys. I'm not going to say how long ago, but, um, (laughs) you know, since when I was 17, 16, 17, I can't remember. I love it now more than ever. Mm -hmm. And it's a beautiful profession. It has some of the most beautiful people. We do amazing things. And I would say, have a mentor. You got to have a mentor. And if you don't call me, email me, I'll be your mentor. I'll help anybody. Wonderful. Well, thank you so, so much for joining today. It's, it is always a pleasure to talk with you and the words of wisdom and advice that you share and learning really about your amazing career and life. So thank you so much for being such a strong advocate for our patients and assistants and technicians. Thank you for having me. It's been an honor. Thank you so much for listening in. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider subscribing. Don't forget to leave a review to let us know your thoughts and share the episode with friends. Follow VCA Animal Hospitals on social media at LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. For more inspiring stories, visit our website at vcavoice.com. Thank you.